Our sermon text for this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. And in these verses, Paul is going to remind Timothy of what we've already been talking about this morning, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And I'd like us to start doing something that I I know many churches do, and I don't know that we've done it here before, but I'd like us to start doing this as a way to help us remember that when we hear this word read over us, we are in the presence of the breathed out words of God, and that He is speaking to us. And so, if you would, and even I'll ask you if you're able to at home, I would ask you to stand with me while we read our sermon text this morning, and we'll do this each and every Sunday, because our King is here, and He wants to speak to us. 2 Timothy chapter 3 Verses 14 to 17, hear the word of the Lord. Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, This is your word, and we ask that you would help us to hear it this morning, to embrace it with our whole hearts and minds and wills, submit to it, be changed by it. Help us, Father, to be amazed that the God of the universe, the God who made us, the God who died for us and rose again, wants to speak to us. So give us ears to hear, to listen, and eyes of faith to see Jesus in your word this morning. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I could be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be, but I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Those are the words of a Christian man from the 1700s whom God has changed by his grace. But it's a man who still longs to change. 
He's not what he ought to be. He's not what he could be. He's not what he wants to be. He's not what he hopes to be, but he's not what he used to be. By the grace of God, he, he is what he is. I wonder this morning, do you sense deep down inside you that even though by the work of God's grace, you're not what you used to be, do you sense deep down that you're still not what you ought to be? You're still not what you could be? I I think all of us would say, we're not what we want to be or even hope to be. If you still have that desire to change... (laughs) to be something that you're not now, then you're in good company with John Newton, who wrote those words, and who also wrote words you already know about. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton was a wretch, and he knew it. He says, I once was lost, but now I'm found out. I once was blind, but now I see. You see, normal Christians have been changed. Oh, but they still long to change even more. And God wants this change for us too. Paul tells Timothy that he's given his very word to us for the purpose of changing us. Look at what Paul said in verse 17. God has given his people his word, the Bible, so that the people of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. When Jesus called his first disciples, um, the first guys were fishermen, and he found them sitting in their boats, the Bible says, mending their nets. Mending their nets. And that word for mending means to restore something to its original purpose. The nets were torn, and they were not able to function the way they were made to function. So they had to be mended. They had to be restored. Well, when Paul says that God has given his people his word so that they may be complete and equipped, he's using words that come from the same root word as mending, when you talk about mending fishing nets. And so Paul was telling Timothy that the way God's word works in God's people is to mend them, is to restore them to the purpose for which they were created. Jesus used this word in Luke 6. Jesus used that mending word. He said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained, that's the word, everyone when he is fully trained, when he's mended, when he's restored, when he's complete and equipped, everyone will be just like his teacher, he said. So Jesus is saying that God's purpose is to mend us, to fully train us until we're completely equipped to be like Jesus. Paul is saying that God uses his word to accomplish this. Again, I love how H.B. Charles Jr. said it. It is the will of God to have the spirit of God Use the word of God to make the children of God look like the Son of God. And so Paul's going to go on now in these verses and show us three ways that God's Spirit does this. How he uses his word to accomplish 
this life-changing purpose he has for his people. And I'm going to touch on the first two pretty briefly because I really want to zero in on that third thing that God does with his word. And I want to be able to illustrate it for you. Um, and hopefully it will, it will be a help to you this morning. But first, Paul tells us that God's word is a life-changing story. He says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And we know uh, from earlier that he learned it from his grandmother and his mother, And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now for Timothy, that would be the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. You've been acquainted with the sacred writings, with the story of God's people, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. God's word is a life-changing story. Timothy would have learned from the Old Testament that God's people needed to be mended. He would have learned that the law taught that God created and redeemed people to love God and to love others. But the story would have shown Timothy that the law could only teach us to love God and love others, and it could reprove and expose us when we don't, but the law could never itself have the power to restore us. What people needed he would learn as he read the story over and over again, what people needed was a new heart. And the law, what was called the old covenant, couldn't give us a new heart. There had to be a new covenant that God would promise. And God would have to be the one who did the work of giving a new heart to his people. And so, through the prophets in the Old Testament, God promised to send a savior, a suffering servant. And Timothy would learn that this Suffering servant would take upon himself the sin of his people, forgive their idolatry, and cleanse their hearts. He would give them a new heart, and he would put his own spirit inside them and cause them to obey him, to love God, and to love others. He would restore them to a new partnership with himself in his world through this Messiah, the Savior. So all of this that Timothy would have read over and over again as a child and would have been taught as a child would have prepared him to believe the good news about Jesus. Because Jesus is that heart changer that God promised. And so God's word is that life-changing story about how we can have new hearts through Jesus Christ. This story is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. But God's word also has life-changing power, Paul said. He said, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, we could spend weeks of sermons talking about just that right there. (laughs) This is where we get our word inspiration, but really it's actually um, expiration. It's breathed out by God. This is why we call the Bible the Word of God, because these are His words. Peter said that the writers of God's Word spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So yes, they used their own words, but because God carried them along by His Spirit as they wrote, they are God's words. 
So this book is, is, like Nathan said, the breathed out word of God on pages. Over and over and over again in Genesis 1, we're told that God said, and it was so. But then Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that in the gospel, the one who created by speaking now recreates by speaking. Paul said, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This word speaks Jesus to us. Maybe the best illustration, I would encourage you this afternoon, maybe as a family or by yourself, go and read Ezekiel 37. It's the coolest story because Ezekiel has this vision of a valley full of dry bones that are all separated from each other. They're dry, and that means they're so dead, they're they're just dry dead. And God tells Ezekiel, preach to the bones. Preach to the dead bones. Preach and say, breath, breath of God, come. Come upon these bones. And he does. He preaches breath into the bones, and they come together, and then sinews and ligaments and muscles come on them, and skin comes on them, and eventually they stand up until they're a great army of God. That's such a beautiful picture of what God does through his word. When you read his word, when you listen to it preach, and you receive it by faith, God is preaching life into your bones. <laughs> He's preaching breath and life into your heart. So this word is powerful. It's powerful. But here's where I want to spend most of our time this morning. God's word is not only a life-changing story that has life-changing power. God's word itself is a life-changing instrument. Paul said that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. That means useful. That means instrumental. It's instrumental for four things. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What does all that mean? Well, let me try this. (laughs) So this week, I'm going to the dentist because I have a tooth way back here in the back that had an old filling that fell out, and so I've got about two-thirds of a tooth left. And you might ask, well, Jimmy, why don't you just fix it yourself? Well, that's a problem. Besides the fact that I have a tremor that could hurt anyone, um, including myself, I, I don't have the skill or the power or the instruments to fix my own tooth. I got to go to somebody who has these things, who has the instruments that are necessary to mend my messed up mouth. And so I'm going to see Dr. Sorry. Here are the instruments that she has. First of all, she has the instrument of teaching. She's been taught what a healthy, flourishing mouth looks like. 
She's been given a deposit of knowledge about how the human mouth ought to be and what it ought to do. She has that instrument of teaching that she can use to help me. She also has instruments of reproof. You know, Paul uses the word reproof. It means to expose. She has instruments that will help her expose what's not healthy in my mouth. She's got those pointy little instruments that we hate because they poke around and they hurt. But one of the best instruments she has to expose is the x-ray machine. So she'll point that joker at my jaw and bam, it will expose what's not right with my tooth. So she has the instrument of teaching. She has the instruments of reproof and exposure. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Let's suppose that she does that. She takes the x-ray. She tells me what's wrong with my tooth. She hands me the x-ray, and I stand up from the chair, and I say, thank you, doc. I'll take it from here. And uh, I walk out. Well, I'd be a fool, right? Amen. I'd be a fool if I leave that office. I'll have no help for the healing and help that I need. I'd be walking away from the only one who knows how to fix what's wrong with me. I can't fix this myself. What arrogance it would be to walk out of her office having been exposed and say, I'll take care of the rest. And if I leave her office without her help, I leave without hope. But friends, there is hope that my mouth can change. There is hope for change. If I'll simply submit myself to the one who has all the instruments and the power to mend my mouth, to restore it to flourishing health. But to do that, it takes humility. Humility to admit that I can't fix myself. Humility to submit myself to someone who can. And so, I will likely humble myself and submit to the other instruments that she has. And the next instrument she has is the instrument of correction. That word that Paul uses, correction, means Restoring, it means to restore something, to set it right again. And so, Dr. Salary is the one with the skill and the power and the tools to correct my tooth and restore it to health. She will carefully remove all the decay and the rot and the ruin in my mouth. But she's not going to leave it empty. She's going to fill it with what's good. She's going to make it right, and then she's going to seal it so that it's protected from further decay. That's what the instrument of correction does. And then she's going to remind me to use her instruments of training in righteousness, training in rightness. She has these people called hygienists. You know, hygiene means health. These hygienists, their job is to train me how to prevent decay and promote health. And so I'm going to set up regular appointments for them to examine and clean. I'm setting up appointments for more teaching, for more reproof, and more correction. And they're going to train me how to have a flourishing mouth. Of course, we're only speaking physically here. But this is what God's Word, God's Word 
all of those instruments wrapped into one. God's word teaches us what the healthy, flourishing human looks like. It looks like 1 John 4, 19. We love God and people because he first loved us. God's word teaches us that. And then God's word reproves us. It it exposes the rottenness of sin and the decay that leads to death when we don't live that way. Proverbs 6 says, The commandment is a lamp and teaching is a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So God's word teaches what healthy flourishing looks like for a human, but it also exposes us when we're not living that way. And God's word has in it both the law of God and the gospel of God. The law of God he uses to expose our need to be restored and drives us to Jesus. Paul said in Galatians 3, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And just as my dentist's teaching and x-ray lead me to trust her to remove my decay and to restore health to my mouth, so the law of God in the Bible drives me to trust in Jesus for restoration. But the Bible also has the gospel It has the law, which tells me the bad news about what's wrong, but it has the good news about Jesus, who is my only help and hope to correct what the law has exposed is wrong. So the Bible does both. It exposes my brokenness, and it drives me to Jesus and offers him to me as my only hope for help. The Puritans had a a little poem that kind of describes this. It goes like this. Run, John, and work, the law commands, yet it gives me neither feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and lends me wings. Paul told the Galatians, he said that in his preaching, Before their eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. They never saw him crucified, but in his preaching, they saw him crucified. And then he said, so did you receive the Spirit and the miraculous power of the Spirit to change your life by just doing the works of the law or by hearing the gospel with faith and embracing it? And the answer is obvious. God's word corrects me by showing me Jesus and all that he's done for me, to me, and is doing in me. And when I trust him, his spirit comes in and does the miraculous work of making me look more like him. So I want to give you two examples of how this teaching, reproof, correcting, and training in righteousness Uh, works in real life. I'm going to explain how it works for the addicted heart and for the afflicted heart. So, um, Jeremiah 2.13, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, God uses this illustration to uncover the fact that all of us are prone to have addictive hearts. He says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What he's describing 
is the sinful, sin-sick, addicted heart. A heart that has the spring of living waters in God himself right here, but it turns away from him and goes and digs a broken well that won't hold any water and it won't ever satisfy. And so our addictions, whether they be to, to food or sex or some kind of substance or to uh, someone's approval or to achievement or to a relationship, whatever that addiction is, is this well that we keep digging. We pour all of our energy into it and we dig and we dig and dig and it just never satisfies. And so God exposes our addictive hearts and shows us, I'm right here. I'm a spring of living waters that always runs pure and clean and satisfies. And yet you turn and you dig all these broken wells. The word teaches us and exposes us. But then the word of God also invites us to be satisfied in Jesus. And so in John chapter 7, Jesus at a feast stood and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. So God's word exposes our addictive hearts, but then says, no, look, come to me and I'll satisfy you. Come to me and I'll be your satisfaction. And even at the very end of the book in Revelation, we hear these words, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So not only does Jesus offer us satisfaction now, but he offers us satisfaction forever. See, the word of God shows us all of this. I had a friend tell me, just this past week, that, um, that God had exposed in him uh, the broken well, the broken cistern of, of sexuality and sexual pleasure. And he said, I just, it, it, it was gripping me, it was controlling me, it was an addiction. And yet, through God's word, he exposed that in me as an idol, like Jeremiah 2 says. And he turned my heart toward Jesus, the one who truly satisfies. And he said to me, he goes, it's broken. The power is broken. Yeah, I'll have to battle this again at another time. But God used his word in my life. There is hope for me to change, he said. <laughs> because God exposed my idolatrous heart but then he offered me Jesus who fully satisfies. That's what Paul is talking about when he says teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's what the word of God does for the addicted heart. And then for the afflicted heart, I was talking about this with Christine yesterday, and she reminded me of our story, her story of when she was burned uh, so badly uh, in 1997, uh, thought we were going to lose her a month in the burn unit, two years of recovery from skin graft surgeries. It was horrible. But the week before all that happened, we had gone on a youth, 
mission trip. And we learned for the first time a song that many of you know, and we sing it here pretty often, Isaiah 43. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. And then it has that line that says, when you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. And the chorus says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine, for I am the Lord your God. That's straight from Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. And so God had put that word into our hearts just the week before all of this horrible stuff happened. And we even, when she was conscious in the hospital, we even sat there, I sat by her bed, and we sang it together. God's word rescued her afflicted heart from thinking that God's heart was not for her. He reminded her again and again through these verses, fear not. I have not abandoned you. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. He reminded us of the gospel that Jesus, his son, walked through the worst waters. Jesus, his son, walked through the worst fire, the fire and the water that could destroy her soul. But because he had redeemed her and made her his and called her by name and made her his own, Jesus had done that for her. And so there's no water or fire that could ever separate her from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. See, God's word had taught her and then exposed her and said, there's fear in you. You're afraid that I'm not for you. You're afraid that these circumstances mean that I'm not for you. But I want to correct you, and I'm going to show you Jesus. If there's any proof that I'm for you, it's him. And you have to turn away from your fear that I'm not for you. Turn away from your doubt of my good heart for you. And look to Jesus and remember that if he took care of your worst problem, I'll take care of you during any other suffering you experience. This is how the word of God works in his people. But it won't work in us if we're not listening to it. Um, you got to put yourself in the way of his breath so that he can work on you. How does the word of God work in the life of his people? I think it's beautifully said in the Westminster Larger Catechism that we read earlier. I'm going to read it one more time. Listen, this describes what Paul is talking about. The spirit of God causes the reading and especially the preaching of the word to enlighten, convince, and humble sinners. Through the teaching and the rebuke, the exposure, enlighten, convince, and humble sinners. The Spirit drives sinners out of themselves and draws them to Christ. That's what happens between the, rebu- the reproof and the correction. 
He conforms them to his image and subdues them to his will. He strengthens them against temptations and corrupting influences. And he builds them up in God's grace and establishes their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith to salvation. That's what the word of God does in the people of God. Don't you long for that? Don't you want more of that? I do. And if this is what we want, if we want to change, God says, come. Come to my word and let me breathe change into you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. The power of the word that spoke worlds into existence, but then would gently speak life into us through Jesus Christ. And so, would you continue to use your word to teach us what it means to be a whole human, (laughs) then to expose us when we're not living in our wholeness, and then drive us then to Jesus, not to try to fix ourselves, but drive us to Christ who offers himself and says, why are you working and laboring? Come to me and let me give you rest. I'll do the work in you. And then Jesus, who takes us by the hand like a good teacher and trains us to live by faith so that we might live a righteous life. Your word says the the righteous will live by faith in Christ. All of this is what your word does for your people. We thank you for it and ask you to continue to do it. In Christ's name, amen.